At the time of the year that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, death is hard to deal with and hard to think about. But for those who live and who die in Christ, uh, it is a celebration. Uh, we had news this week that Bud Bradley passed away on Friday and he had been suffering with an illness for some time. Um, uh, he went to, to meet his maker, meet the Lord on, on Friday afternoon. And uh, um, although uh, hearts are heavy about that, we celebrate a life well lived. And uh, we want to lift up Terry and family in prayer. Let's, let's pray right now, shall we? Heavenly Father, I thank you so very much that even though hearts are heavy and there is loss, Father, there is still a celebration of a life that was well lived. Father, I thank you for Bud Bradley. I thank you for his love for you, his love for your word. Father, uh, an insatiable uh, appetite for truth and for scripture and how he spent time in that. Um, Father, thank you for, for blessing this congregation with this man. And now, Father, as we celebrate his arrival uh, into your heaven, uh, we're grateful for the way that you provided for his life and, Father, for his family. May they have the peace that surpasses all understanding. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If there ever was a season that it was designed for joy and peace, this is the time of year. This is when we do this. The, the songs we just sang are Christmas carols. They harmonize about peace. We sing Silent Night, Sleep in Heavenly Peace. We sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Hail the Newborn Prince of Peace. We sing the song, O Holy Night, His Law is Love and His Gospel is Peace. We sing the, the great song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, Peace to Men on Earth. So our, our choruses, they, they harmonize about peace. The prophecies, they foretold peace. Isaiah writes in chapter 9, verse 6, He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The angels proclaimed that peace when they said, Glory to God of the highest heaven. And peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. The, the shepherds portrayed that peace when it said they went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard, all that they had seen. And the wise men pers uh, preserved that peace when it was said about them that when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. All around us are manger scenes, and in those manger scenes, we, we see a, a star-filled quiet night, the cattle are lowing, whatever that means for a cattle to low. I don't know if it's standing there, sitting, they're, they're lowing over there, and, and the baby is sleeping, the baby wakes up, doesn't make any sound, the animals are all looking in. There's this idea, when we look at the manger scene, of quiet and calm and stillness and, 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 and peace. It's all a part of that. I think that we have probably done a pretty good job of romanticizing what that, uh, what that Christmas Eve was like and the birth of Jesus Christ. We've done a pretty good job of making it really not very real. In reality, we know that, that Mary and Joseph left Nazareth to go to Bethlehem. About a 90-mile journey would take roughly uh, four to five days, about 20 miles a day. If you went the direct route, uh, it was only 70 miles the crow flies. But Mary and Joseph probably didn't take the direct route that would have taken them through Samaria. They would have had to deal with all the harassment from the Samaritans. It would have been hard for these two Jewish young people to find a place to stay overnight in Samaria. There's a good chance that when they left, they crossed the Jordan River to the east and traveled down the east side of the Jordan and then crossed back into Judea uh, and came into Bethlehem. Not only that, but also Mary being being great with child, uh, the travel would have been slower. It would have taken more time. They would have had to be more cautious. So this trip that normally would have taken maybe four or five days probably took maybe a week, maybe even longer. 
And then they arrive into this little village of Bethlehem that is wall to wall with people. Caesar had said, go to, your, to the town of your birth and there be counted so we can know what the tax rolls are, so we can know what kind of taxes we'll have coming in. So they're, they're in, involved in this town with all of these people that are there. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 6, that while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. Most likely, this was in maybe a relative's house. In those days, the family would stay upstairs at night, and all the cattle, the animals, would be brought in at night and would be in the bottom floor of the house. It's not out of the question that possibly Mary and Joseph might have found a relative. They had a large family there in Bethlehem, and they might have stayed at one end of the house, and, and there would have been a low spot on the floor where Joseph might have pulled some straw in and laid it down there. And in that bed of straw, that, that low area of the house, Joseph's son, the Messiah of God, was born into this world. Peace. It would have been scarce. It would have been a, a precious commodity. Now, 2,000 years later, you think that we would learn something about that. That with all the confusion and all the chaos and all the struggle that Mary and Joseph went through, that we would look at Christmas as a time of, of peace and a time of great, uh, great relaxation. And you know and I know that is so far from the truth. It just isn't that way. Somebody said that life is an endless struggle full of frustrations and challenges, but eventually you find a hairstyle you like. I did. <laughs> Be honest. If you're like everybody else, you know that Christmas is anything but peaceful. Parties to go to, gifts to buy, houses to decorate, trees to get all the ornaments on. There, there are menus to put together. There's travel plans to be made. Your kids are in school plays and church plays and musicals. And, and all these things are going on. And how about family? Oh, gosh, we like to think that Christmas is a great time with family. But sometimes families don't get along oh so well. Maybe your family looks something like this. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe your frustrations at Christmas aren't so familial. Maybe they're not oriented to family. Maybe it's something with much more voltage involved. Uh, guys, you can probably uh, appreciate what Clark's going through here.
Come on, who hasn't been there at one point? I know I have. If I've kicked Santa Claus 50, I've never kicked Santa Claus. I've never done that. But man, there have been times when you just feel like, oh, you just lose your mind. If you've seen, if you've seen the movie Christmas Vacation, you know what Clark's going through. I mean, the frustrations of trying to deal with family, and he's got, he's got problems with, with the lights and, and an unfulfilled expectation of a Christmas bonus that just doesn't seem to be coming in. Add all that to the, the, the problems going on. He's got a squirrel in his house as well. I mean, it's, it's a bad deal. It's a bad deal. Whatever your tradition or ritual is at Christmas time, peace may seem to be a, a distant memory or maybe an unfulfilled wish for you. Uh, the end of 2021... Uh, really hasn't done much to change that, has it? That's no exception. COVID-19 continues now with the Delta and with the uh, Omicron variants, masks and vaccines and mandates. I've never seen a time when something so physical has been so spiritually polarizing in the church. Relationships, some churches, some churches struggle with their programming, how to do all this, and other churches struggle to, to, to stay open uh, Relationships as believers has taken a, a backseat to opinion and, and practice. Peace and peacemaking seems to be a rare virtue. Last week, tornadoes came through the Midwest, destroying millions of dollars of property and taking the lives of, of several people. There's no peace to be found in that. And if it's not a storm from above or from nature, maybe it's a storm that we run into headlong that we weren't even looking for. On October the 16th, Deb and I picked up Deanne at her home down in Breeze. She was visibly shaking. We came home, got a pizza. She didn't want any. We took her temperature. It spiked at 106. Took it again, and it settled out at 104. We knew that something wasn't right. Took her to the emergency room down in Highland. From there over to uh, Memorial Hospital at Shiloh. After a series of tests and blood work and labs, they, they determined that she had staph aureus a staph infection that came in through the port that she had put in for her medication for the Crohn's disease. It had only been, only been used one time, but somehow or another an infection got in. It left her with bilateral pneumonia. Um, there was septic embolisms in both lungs. It was a UTI. There was uh, uh, tachycardia in the emergency room. She was in the hospital for 11 days and nights. Finally came home and spent the next almost three weeks receiving intravenous IV uh, antibiotics at 7 and 3 and 10 every day. I remember driving back and forth from Highland and back and forth from O'Fallon praying every time, Dear God, save my little girl. Just save her. I, I know how dangerous this is. God, just bring your hands around her and protect her. And he did. He answered that prayer. Peace can be so elusive in the midst of uncertainty. When you don't know what's going to happen, it's hard to find that peace. Max Lucado, some years ago, wrote a book called Fearless. He writes, life is a dangerous endeavor. We pass our days in the shadows of ominous realities. The power to annihilate humanity has, it seems, been placed in the hands of people who are happy to do so. Discussions of global attack prompted one small boy to beg, please, Mom, can't we go someplace where there isn't any sky? If the global temperatures rise a few more degrees, if classified information falls into sinister hands, if the wrong person pushes the wrong red button, what if things only get worse? We know they can. They can get worse. 
And Christians receive no special dispensation from struggles and trials, from difficulties and hardships, from death. We don't, we don't receive an exemption from that. Jesus said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I, I have come to understand that peace is not the absence of conflict or struggle or hardships or confusion and conflict or the pressure of this world, but it's the, it's the ability to remain hopeful and strong even when life doesn't make any sense, even when life seems to be falling apart. I want you to discover peace this Christmas. So the question's on the mind of a lot of people this morning, how do I find that gift of peace? How do I instill that in my life when my life is filled with chaos and confusion and trouble and difficulty and, and all those words? How do, I, how do I bring peace back? How do I get that in my life? Paul gives us some very practical steps for that. He writes in Philippians chapter 4, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace. It exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is, what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all that you have learned and received from me, everything that you've heard from me and saw me doing, then the peace of God will be with you. Paul gives us some very practical steps about how to instill peace. And the first thing that I want you to see is that he says, consider our world. Look at the world around us. It's an example of what peace can be. He said here in verse 4 and 5, Be full of joy in the Lord. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Man, sometimes we just have to laugh at situations, don't we? There's nothing else that we can do. We just have to laugh. I went into a, a shoe store in Carbondale, Illinois. This has been a few years back. And, uh, and I saw that Rocky boots that I like to wear when I ride my motorcycle were on sale. Well, I, I decided that I needed a new pair. They were on sale. My other ones were... They were getting torn up. So I thought, I'm going to get a new pair of boots. And I went back, and I found my size, and I pulled the box out. And there was only one boot in there because a lot of shoe stores will take out a shoe, and they'll put it in the back, and when you buy them, they'll give you the other shoe. So I took the box and tucked it under my arm and walked up to the counter and set it there, and, and the lady opened it up. She took out the, the boot and hit the UPC symbol with a gun. The price came up, and she told me what it was going to cost. And then she looked at me straight in the eye, serious as a heart attack, and said, are you going to be needing the other shoe? I looked down at my feet, and I said, you know, I think I will. <laughs> I think I'm going to need both of those. Now, when those things happen, we sometimes get irritated, and we get angry, and we get frustrated. We may say, say things that are hateful to the salesperson. But Paul said, you be considerate in all that you do. Let the joy of the Lord dictate every word, every response, every action, every reaction. I love what Jesus said in Matthew 5. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. You know, life is so much easier when we learn to laugh at ourselves. We don't take our ourselves too seriously. When we let the joy of Jesus Christ, the joy of the Lord, actually be seen in our life and heard in our life, and, and the way that we deal with people outside of the church and, and, and outside of our circle, when we're, when we're at the gas station, when we're at Walmart, at the grocery store, wherever it is, and, and we're, we're coming in contact with the people around us, it, it's, it's so much better. 
to let the joy of Christ be seen in our life as we live our life. In verse 6, Paul said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. I find such great joy in looking at our world and seeing how great he's made it. Even though their sin has, has stained it, has broken it, it's still a beautiful place in so many ways. When we lived in South Texas every spring, man, I love the blue bonnets coming up. Blue bonnets and Indian paintbrush and, and uh, uh, buttercups, all these things were growing up. And, and they were just they were vivid throughout the hillside. Uh, you would look out and see these things growing every place. I've got a picture at home of, of Joy and Deanne sitting out in a blue bonnet field. And they're up to their necks in blue bonnets. All you can see is just their head. But it was so beautiful in the springtime. I loved those flowers. But what I really liked about it was the fact that as much joy as that bought, it brought to me, there's so much greater joy in knowing that God takes care of me even more so than he does these things. Jesus said, why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They, they don't work or, or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory has, has, was not dressed as beautifully as the blue bonnet or the buttercup or the Indian paintbrush. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Oftentimes, peace is interrupted by the cares of this world. I understand that clothing and food and shelter, those are legitimate needs. We, we have need of those things. But when our focus and our worry is on what God can provide, we lose our sense of peace. We lose our understanding of peace. We rob ourselves of that. Verse 6 and 7 of Philippians 4, Paul said, Tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he's done. And then you will experience God's peace. And don't miss that. I'm, I'm not talking about the theology of prayer. I'm talking about prayer as a priority. I'm talking about our attitude in it, which results in peace. John MacArthur wrote, Spiritually stable people react to trials with thankful prayer. Such prayer is the antidote to worry. It's the cure for anxiety. The scripture tells us that God has promised that he will not put on us more than we can handle. Scripture tells us that, that he promises to use everything that happens in our life for our ultimate good. First Peter tells us that even through our suffering, we learn to be perfected and confirmed. We are strengthened and we are established in our life and our walk and our faith. You see, we become anxious. We become fearful because we don't trust the wisdom of God, the power of God, the goodness of God. We fear that God is not strong enough or wise enough to take care of our situations. But when our requests are coupled with thanksgiving, we're, we're able to understand. And we believe that God is in control. And just like he said in Romans 8, 28, that he works these things for our good. We may not think so when we're going through them, but when we look in the rearview mirror, we can see that God has done great things. Consider our world. The next thing that he tells us to do is to concentrate on God's word. In verse 8, Paul writes, fix your thoughts on what is true and, and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Where do you find those subjects? Where do you find those topics? We find them in the Word of God. This is why the Bible says the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. We are surrounded and we are pounded by relenting, unrelenting noise and the confusion of this world. Voices call for us to participate in every event that comes along. We need, to, we need to be running to this event. We need to be shopping in this store. We need to be seeing this site, hearing this concert. We need to be watching this game. And none of those things 
are in of themselves bad, but none of them are life-giving. None of them are life-sustaining. Today in our society, truth is debatable. Purity is questionable. Loveliness is seemingly a lost virtue. Peace and the author of peace and the provider of peace is found in Scripture. I read this week that people who engage in reading the Bible at least four times a week or more have a stronger marriage, have healthier life habits, and are stronger, have a stronger self-esteem. If you want peace in your life, consider the Word of God. If you want peace in your life, conquer your thoughts. Mark Moore in his book, Core 52, writes, Worry is a battle of the mind. What we focus on will determine the direction of our thoughts. I think that's, that's good advice. What we focus on is often the content of anxiety. Worry, which is the absence of peace in our life, takes up valuable real estate in our brains. It was interesting to read, Mark was talking about the fact that, that when we think on one subject or one topic for a while, there are proteins that kind of cling to branches. And the longer we think about a certain thing, the larger that branch, the longer those proteins, the bigger they get. And so whatever you're thinking about a lot, it takes up a lot of space in our brains. It's interesting that in core community, there is a book that is used to, to be the guidebook in our core community classes here in town called Bridges Out of Poverty. And one of the things that was learned about people who are in generational poverty is that because every day is a crisis, it's really only the back of the brain that's doing a lot of the work. The back of the brain is that, that part that responds to crisis situations. And so every day is a crisis because I'm trying to figure out how to how to pay my utility bill, how to take care of my rent, and how to put gas in the car to put food on the table and clothes on my kid's back and all these things that are there. So every day is a crisis day. Every day I live in crisis mode. But you know what? Your brain can be retrained. And we have discovered that through core community and working with those in generational poverty, that when thinking is changed, lives are changed. We have found out in the two classes that have already gone through and graduated, the third class that's in, in session right now, that among all of those who participate, there has been an $8,392 monthly income increase. There has been an $81,000 debt reduction of those who are involved in core community. Four of the families in core community within the space of three years or less have moved from generational poverty into middle class. That's a 200% increase in income. I tell you what, I praise God for that. I really do. I, I am so glad, so glad that, that some of you are working with core community. You're helping as friends and allies. You're supporting it financially. Things can change when our thinking changes. We give space and place to thoughts that are allowed to dominate our thinking. What are you allowing to dominate your thoughts? What what fears are taking up space in your mind this morning? What are the anxieties that are forcing peace out of your life today? Paul said, fix your thoughts. I love that word fix. Steal your mind. Make it ironclad as you think. Think on things that are true and, and honorable and right, pure, lovely, and admirable. He said, think about things that are excellent and, and worthy of praise. One of the other translations of the Bible, instead of using the word fix, uses the phrase dwell on. The word dwell on simply means to evaluate, to consider, to, to calculate, as John Hessen says, to cogitate, to think about. And Paul says this requires effort. As a matter of fact, the language here that's used by Paul is a mandate. 
says, you do this. This is not a suggestion. Paul said, you do this. You think about things that are praiseworthy and true. You, you spend time doing this. And when you do this, you'll see God's hand at work. Isaiah 26 says, you, meaning God, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. Dale Bruner writes, the reason why we ought not to be terrified is not because wars are not terrifying, quite the contrary. It is because above all the chaos, a divine plan reigns. God has a divine plan for your life. He really, really does. Paul tells us in Colossians 3, since you've been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. You've died to this life. Your real life is hidden with Christ. God has a plan for you. God plans for you to spend eternity with him in heaven. In the last few moments of, uh, of Bud's life, uh, we were in the hospital room praying for him and praying with him. I left the hospital about 3.40 on Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock. Terry called and said that Bud had passed away. Yet in those moments that we spent, there was a certainty in Bud's life. You could see it, that he knew God and that he was prepared and ready to see his father. God has a plan for us, and that is to spend eternity with him. You want peace in your life? The last thing that you need to do is to connect with other people. Paul said in verse 9, keep putting into practice all that you've learned and received from me. Now, Paul has written a great deal about how we live our lives as believers, how we interact with one another, how we treat those around us, not only in the church, but also outside of the church. I think one last way to discover peace is, is to make to make yourself needed by someone else. Find somebody who needs you. In Philippians 2, Paul writes, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look, uh, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. There is this constant struggle we have in this culture to... Um, to have a, a healthy appreciation for who we are. Our, our culture cries out to tell us that we are the most important thing in the universe. I mean, life revolves around us. At least that's what we're told. And so you need this and you need that in order to be better at what you are. Yet I found that all of my efforts to meet my needs have always left me without really, really having much peace in my life. The more that I, that I focus on my own needs, the less peace that I find. Make it so that somebody else needs you. Several years ago, uh, in Murfreesboro, Illinois, my first ministry there, uh, we had just gotten done with our Christmas Eve candlelight service. And the church building was just steps away from the parsonage where Deb and I and the kids lived. It was a cold, cold Christmas Eve, five, six degrees outside. We were in there with Deb's mom and dad and the family were all there, and we were having supper after the program was over. And the back door, you know, one of those little... Uh, ringers, you turn and it, it rang, and I went to the back door and opened it up, and there was a, a disheveled older gentleman there. He had a little Ziploc baggie with a sandwich in it. He said, Could I go into the church building where it's warm and eat this sandwich? Oh, man, no, no come on in the house. He said, I don't, I don't want to mess up your family plans. I know you've got your family in. It's Christmas Eve on it. That, that's okay. Come on in. 
came in and Deb fixed a plate of food for him. Down in the basement, we had a bed and, and uh, we situated the place so that if we had anybody that needed to stay with us, family or whatever, they had a place to sleep. So we took this man downstairs to the basement and it got him situated. There was a newspaper there that day from the Southern Illinoisan and, and uh, we let him have that to read. We went back upstairs and we went to bed. Some of the family was concerned because there was no lock on the door from the basement to the top. I said, it's, it's going to be okay. Got up the next morning and went downstairs to see how our guest was doing, and he was gone. There was a staircase and a door that led out of the basement to the outside. He had gone out that. The bed had been completely remade. The paper had been folded up and left right on the bed where he had found it. We had been able to meet his needs but we were the ones left with a sense of joy in service. And there was peace in that. Our, our needs seemed to be so little at the time. Connect with somebody. Be the initiator. Invite people into your, into your circle, into your home. When you leave this morning, you're going to have a chance to pick up a bag of popcorn with a card. The card on it says, Christmas Candlelight Services, December the 23rd, 24th. Times are on there. Get this in the hands of somebody. Have, have somebody over and, and pop popcorn and, and watch a movie. Or, or you invite yourself into somebody else's home and, uh, and have popcorn. This is a special kind of popcorn. Just add water. It's really great. No, don't, don't do that. Um, you be the initiator. I, there are so many times that, that, that we do things with other people because other people have invited us. My brother Tim, he complains all the time. He said, man, anytime I want to do a motorcycle ride with the guys back at, at our home church, I have to do all the setting up, all the calling and all the inviting and all the date setting. He said, I'm the only one that does this. Everybody else loves to go, but I'm the one left doing it. And you may be that kind of person. Change. If you're not that kind of person, be that person. Be the initiator. Invite somebody into your home. Invite somebody into your life, into your circle. Let them know who Jesus Christ is. Develop a relationship. Connect with somebody else. Maybe you're at home this morning watching uh, our services uh, on the internet. That's great. Thank you so much for doing so. But if you've not yet returned to church, do so. Now, I'm not, I'm not asking you to do something risky and, and something you may not be able to do. Don't do that. But if you can, come back. There's power in the assembly of the family together. We need you here. Peace is a precious commodity, especially this time of year. Wouldn't it be great that every time that we got together at Christmas time and when we had our families here, it would end like this? Well, Clark got a lot of it right. He said Christmas is not about presents and trees and turkeys and all those kinds of things. He, it's not about that. And he was perfectly right. But he missed the point at one important point. At the very end, he said, I did it. No, he didn't really do it. Peace doesn't come because of what we have done. Isaiah 26 says, Lord, you will grant us peace. All we have accomplished is really from you. 
Paul underlines that when he said, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. One of the other versions says, a peace that surpasses all understanding. It means a peace the world cannot duplicate. A peace that you can't find in, in things, in relationships, in anything of this world. Those, those may be fine, but the only real peace that we can find that, that is true and eternal is through Jesus Christ. Today, your life, even though we're at Christmas time, your life may be in chaos. I don't know. There may be things that you're dealing with that just continue to tear at your heart and your mind and your soul. I want you to experience the peace that Jesus Christ gives, a peace that surpasses all of your understanding, and it will guard your heart and your mind in Jesus. This morning, if you, if you want that peace, he asks you to come. He said, come and acknowledge me as Lord and Savior. Surrender to my lordship in your life. Let me take charge and let me bring peace to your life. If you have never been baptized into Christ, this morning we, we would encourage you to make that decision. If you're looking for a place to call home uh, as a church, we would invite you to come. It was so great in first service. Uh, Tom and Kim uh, Roniger came, and, and Tom was baptized into Christ. And Kim and Tom both placed their membership with us this morning. What a great way to start our Christmas season. So if there are decisions to be made this morning, would you stand? We'll have a prayer, and then we're going to sing an invitation hymn. Come at that time. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of life that you have given to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. We celebrate this time of year his birth, and we should. But Father, never let, never let us take our eyes off of the journey that he began after that birth. Those years that he, he walked through Judea, teaching, proclaiming your love and salvation because of what he did. Thank you, dear God, for salvation through Jesus Christ. Father, let peace reign in our lives today, not because of what we have accomplished, but because of what you have done for us through Jesus. And if there's somebody here today that needs to make that step of faith confession, I pray they do so in Jesus' name. Amen.